Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. What is up, my friend? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. We appreciate you being here. Appreciate you tuning in here on episode 151, where you got another great guest that is uh, joining us just to share some secrets and strategies for building and growing your speaking business. Today, we're going to be talking with Chris Mefford. Chris, I've known for a couple of years now. He's a great, great guy, and he has got is a guy that has had a lot of experience in the speaking industry. So, Chris, uh, actually, used to work with Dave Ramsey. You may be familiar with a personal finance teacher and wizard guru, all those things. And uh, so actually, they do a lot of events. And Chris was basically the big wig over all the events for, for a while. And so he shares a lot of the things that he learned along the way. I mean, we're talking events of handful of people to events of arenas size events. All right. So they've worked with a lot of speakers on a lot of events. So he talks through exactly what they were looking for in terms of when they were working with speakers, of what made speakers good to work with, why they hired some speakers over others. So a lot of great info here from someone that has hired, uh, reviewed and hired a lot of different speakers. So great insights and info here from Chris Mefford. We're going to get to that in just a second. Before we do, let me again remind you, if you haven't already, we definitely want, would love for you to stop by and check out freespeakerworkshop.com, freespeakerworkshop.com, where you can get a step-by-step plan on exactly how to find and book paid speaking engagements. Again, that's freespeakerworkshop.com. Make sure you check that out. What are you waiting on? I tell you about it every time. Every episode I tell you about, just about. So I want you to go check that out. Again, freespeakerworkshop.com. All right, so let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with my buddy, Chris Mefford. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Hey, today I'm hanging out with my buddy Chris Mefford, and uh, Chris has a lot of speaking experience. He's been on both sides of the coin in terms of he's been a speaker, but has also done a lot on helping to run events and hire speakers and work with speakers of all different sizes events and uh, different calibers of speakers. Some really big names uh, that people will probably recognize, and then plenty of speakers that may be up and comers as well. So I think he brings a lot of perspective to the speaking industry, and uh, looking forward to chatting with my boy today. What's up, Chris? How are you? I'm doing well, Grant. I'm glad to be here. Thank Honored you. Honored to hang out with you. We live fairly close to one another. I've done lunch a few times and always enjoy getting together with you. So let's start with this. Why don't you give us a little backstory on what you've done in the speaking industry and especially on the event side in your career? Well, you know, I stumbled into the event stuff. I started off as the uh, director of marketing advertising for an event department. Uh, I used to work for a guy named Dave Ramsey and we did events all over the country. And after about four years, they asked me to step into the role of vice president and sort of take over, well, not sort of, but to take over the entire operations of events. And so we put events on all over the country, had experience 
booking contracts, booking venues, booking speakers in different places from Portland to Oregon, all the way down to Miami, Florida, and back and forth across the country. I got to meet a lot of fascinating people, a lot of different speakers, and you know, ultimately see what worked, what we liked, what made us want to hire someone back, what made us not want to hire someone back. Right. And then once I left that, I left that about a year and a half ago or so, I started uh, helping and working with speakers and helping them create talks and walking them through sort of the process to motivate a crowd, how to create uh, energy and that kind of thing. Because I think that a lot of speakers lack that through my experience. So. Right, right. Now, for context sake, when you were wrapping up with Dave Ramsey, like, because it, outside looking in, most people don't realize like how many events you were involved in and to what scope. So like how many events on an average year would you be doing and what would be the sizes of these these events? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's true. When I started, we did about 12 events just with Dave and they were weekend events like on a Saturday to go up for five hours. They're fantastic. We call it edutainment type things. You learned a lot. Dave is a fantastic speaker, just a, as a great guy. But we grew the department and we grew personalities, what we call different speakers that we brought on board. And so by the time I left, we were doing about 75 to 80 different events all over the country with about five or six or seven different personalities and speakers. Wow. So, so we were hopping. So 75, 80 events a year on what size were these events? They varied anywhere from a really high-end business event that would be in the range of multiple thousands of dollars to attend to a $35 event, which we'd have about four or 5,000 people at. Right. So, I mean, you had several events that were like small arenas that you'd be filling out, but at the same time, you'd also have some that were, like you said, more of an intimate, a hundred person crowd. That's more of a high end, high ticket type of event. Yeah. Our largest event was in Kansas city. We did just over 12,000 people there. I remember the event guy saying, I can't believe you guys can pack this out, but this famous rock band that was there couldn't. And so that was, that was fun. And then, you know, down to the, you know, I worked with a guy named Johnny Cuff and yeah. uh, our very first event, we had 86 people at it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. So again, for scope sake and for context sake, how many in the course of your career then, how many speakers do you think that you've worked with on and, and how many events have you helped put on? Let's see over 10 years ish, probably close to 200, 300 different events mm -hmm. and possibly another 100 speakers. All right. So all that to say, you know what you're talking about. And you've, you've, <laughs> you've had a lot of experience this from the event standpoint in terms of uh, working with speakers. So let's start with this then. When you were hiring speakers, what were you, if you've worked with you know 100 plus speakers there over the course of several hundred events, what were you looking for when it would come time to hire a speaker? I think that's where a lot of speakers have a difficult time of going... I know what I want to speak about. I have a rough idea who I want to speak to. I'm looking for events. At the time, you were looking for speakers. So how do you, like, what were you looking for? How could a speaker get on your radar? Well, I'll tell you, a couple of things come to mind. One of the things is we were always looking for someone that would enhance our event. So we created an event called the Smart Conference, which dealt with money, marriage, parenting, and other topics like that. And so we we're looking for people who could advance you in a personal development type way. Mm -hmm. So we were specifically looking for people who had made an impact. We weren't looking ever for the, the cream of the crop, the top. We just wanted people that could come in and really impact our audience and our tribe, if you will. And then the second thing we were looking for is people who are interested in impacting our tribe. There are a lot of speakers out there who are like, hey, I want to speak for you. I'm perfect. And it always struck me as interesting, Grant, because they would never say, hey, what do you need? What are you looking for? How can I help you achieve your goals? It was always telling me how awesome they were, how great they were, what they could do. But they never asked me what I needed or how I needed it. And so yeah. in that regard, a lot of speakers are frustrating because it's almost like a, a selfish mentality. I'm right. perfect for you. 
yeah, we haven't ever had a conversation. I don't know who you are. I don't know why you're perfect for me. Um, and you don't even know what I'm looking for. Right, right. So how would a speaker, and I would totally agree with that, that there's a lot of speakers who, even whenever they reach out to us on some stuff, that it starts with that. Or people who reach out to be on the podcast, for example, and here's all the reasons why I'm amazing. It's like, the, the, don't lead with that, right? You're, you're trying to, again, almost like you're asking someone out on a first date. You're not trying to seal the deal in this first date. So when someone would reach out to you that would get your attention and not be this massive turnoff from the beginning, like what would that look like? Well, it'd be something like, hey, I'm very easy to work with. I'm a big fan of what you guys do. Lining up with what we believe culturally in a lot of ways was also very important to us. You know, we weren't necessarily ever just looking for someone who could, that was a big speaker that had a large audience. We needed to know that you lined up with what we believe culturally. So first off, letting us know that, hey, I believe a lot of things you believe. I, I'm a big fan of what you guys do. I maybe even attended one of your events or I have been interested in, in what you guys have done for a long time and I've really tried to advance that. So number two is, what can I do to help you guys? You know, I have this huge tribe. Do you want me to, I can message them, I can talk to them, I can let everybody know that I'm going to be there, I'm going to work with you. And so it was, the part of it was, oftentimes, as you may know, sometimes when you bump into speakers, whether they're big time or even small time, there's sometimes a change in their personality and there's a little bit of an arrogance that comes yeah. into play. And just letting them know you'll work with them will make a huge difference. I think, hey, I'm accommodating, not accommodating, and tell me what you want me to speak on. I think that I want to know what you know. Yeah. I don't like those people that are that broad, but I have the skill, I have the set, I align with what you believe in and your culture and what you guys are trying to achieve. I'm on board 100% and let me see how I can use my tribe to help advance what you're trying to do. That would be a huge sort of in the door kind of icebreaker. For me. There's a couple things you said there that I want to touch on. One is the ease to work with. One of the things I've noticed in my career is that if you're an amazing speaker, but you're a pain in the butt to work with, it's really hard to build a business that way. But if, if you recognize from the beginning that part of your role is not just what you do on stage, but to make the event planner's life easier, if you're hosting an event, Chris, with 12,000 people, then the speaker or the couple of the speakers is one very small piece of a lot of moving pieces that you're dealing with. So the easier that I make your life, the more likely you are to want to work with me again, to want to refer me, to want to do more business with me. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Like how important is it just to be easy to work with? And what does like being easy to work with mean for you from an event planner side of it? Well, that's a good question, Grant. You know, it's interesting because I believe wholeheartedly, people who aren't easy to work with have no idea they're not easy to work with. They oftentimes believe that they are. They don't understand. And they, they're sometimes so consumed with themselves and what they want to do that, that they don't think out of it. You know, you're paying me or it's almost like I'm gracing you by being here and allowing you to put me on your stage. Right. Is the mentality I'm doing you a favor by being yeah. here. And you're like, no, I'm paying you. Let's like, and to me, it's, I want to win, win sure. for sure. But that's to be like, I can give you an example of, of somebody we had on our stage and they were supposed to be on the stage and we were looking for them frantically because they were supposed to be going on the stage and we couldn't find them. And all of a sudden they popped up on the stage. They had decided, you know what? I don't want to walk up onto the stage from backstage. I'm going to go in the audience and hop up on the stairs. That's going to be better. Had communicated that to any of us. We all were freaking out trying to find this person. And yeah. it was so frustrating. They couldn't even tell us, hey, I think I've got this idea. I'm more comfortable doing it this way. Yeah. Are you okay with that? I'm okay if not. But And so it's the level of communication, I think, comes into play. If you're talking, 
if you communicate with me, you let me know what you're thinking. You let me know if you need anything. You let me know if something's off. Communication is first and foremost, I think, the easiest way to define what makes it easy to work with someone. Yeah. If I send you emails or I send you a, a tour book about all the details or everything going on and I never hear from you and then you show up and you have all these requests, it's so frustrating. Yeah. And then second, you know, we had, uh, had somebody that came on the stage and they just, we were trying to achieve this and we had stated that goal, you know, providing clarity to the speakers is also very important. Yeah. And so you as a speaker trying to determine and get that clarity is also equally as important. Right. But no matter what we communicated to this person, he didn't like the way we were doing things. He didn't want to do it that way. He had done it this way his whole life. Yeah. He saw no need to change it for us or anyone else. And that's his prerogative, but it was also our prerogative to say, hey, we don't want you back. Yeah. Yeah. What's the, like in that situation, like what's the balance between from a speaker's perspective saying I've done this hundreds, if not thousands of times, I know what works and I'm the square peg and the event is the round hole and I'm trying to make it work. And there's that disagreement there. Is there a way for like a speaker to approach you from an event planner standpoint and say, Hey, just from my experience, I feel like this might work better. Or was it, it sounds like they were coming at it more of a, hey, it's my way or the highway, take it or leave it. This is the way I'm going to do things. So what's the happy medium there? Well, I, again, I, I can't stress enough. It's just a level of communication. I think yeah. sometimes for young speakers, they're intimidated to try and, and reach into these big events, people, because mm -hmm. they feel so blessed or so honored to be there just in the first place. Yeah. And the reality is no one's really that big on the mm -hmm. event planning world. We're all so stressed. We're all so overbooked. We're all uh, tired. And we just want to know what's going on and make sure everything runs smoothly. Yeah. And so you communicating with us all the time is not going to frustrate anybody, whether it's email, text, or just conversations. Yeah. You know, I, I was happy with the text. You know, I used to say, hey, if you need anything, uh, I'm busy all the time. I run around. Just text me. I answer text right away. I'll get back to them right away. So figuring out, you know, what's the best way to communicate with your point person. And also, you know, Grant, just that level of communication to step in and say, hey, I think it's different this way. And so this one instance I, I was describing, part of the problem is we liked using a big presentation screen. And so we had just merely asked for key points because we wanted to create some slides to put them up there for, for the key points. And it was frustrating to get the key points. So we were not really asking him to change his talk. And then we said, also, you have about 35 minutes. And they went about 55 minutes. And so it was just, you know, it was like everything we were trying to do to bring continuity across the board to all speakers to our event to run it smoothly and be conscientious of our attendees time as yeah. well. Yeah. Just was frustrated. And so we moved on from that. It's, I mean, it's, it's simple just to recognize like how important and effective it is for those little things that make a difference. So just communicating with you, uh, following up on things. If the event planner tells you, you have 35 minutes to stick to 35 minutes. Like that just seems so basic, but you're right that there's so many speakers that come at it with, well, I'm going to do my thing. I could care less what your schedule is. I'm going to go as long as I need to go. Like so it leaves a horrible, horrible impression in the event planner's mouth. And just the overall experience is just, it's has such a like tainted experience because of something little like that. So from a speaking perspective, even if you're getting ready to get up on stage and you are supposed to have 55 minutes and at the last minute they're like, hey, we're running behind schedule and we need you to do 35 minutes, you need to be ready to do 35 minutes. Don't throw this hissy fit saying that you need to be doing 55 just because that's what you were promised in the first place. So it seems like so much of this is just comes down to an attitude of, hey, I'm, you know, you're the client, you hired me, I'm here to serve and I'm here to help contribute to the event however possible without being stepped on or anything or being used or anything like that, which obviously you guys wouldn't be doing, but just being easy to work with like makes such a huge difference. 
Oh, it makes all the difference, really. And, you know, it's interesting. If I ever had a speaker show up and say, hey, what does winning look like for you? What does winning look like for you at this event? And how can I help you achieve those goals? I'd be blown away. Now, we work with some great speakers. So I don't mean to say that nobody was fantastic or great. I'm just saying oftentimes people don't ask that. And if you or your listeners were to ask that question of the places they go to speak, People are going to appreciate that. They're probably going to be blown away and love it. And then you'll probably get asked back a whole lot more just yeah. because they'll remember that conversation. Yeah, it's a lot easier to get referrals like that and to build that that word of mouth. So, okay, so in terms of communication that you've mentioned, what are some other things that speakers can be doing that makes your life easier, that makes your life simpler and makes the event run smoother? Pay attention to the details. So oftentimes when you came to our event, we would manage the details for you. We would send you what we call the tour book and it would go out. And so we would put in there where you're staying, what time you needed to be there, what time practice was. And so just knowing the details, we'll take care of that. Now, if no one's done that for you, you need to know the details still. What time do you need me here? Is there going to be a walkthrough? When do you want me to do a sound check? All those kinds of things really came into play. And, uh, if you know the details, people are going to really appreciate that because the last thing we want with all the moving parts that happen around an event is to try and chase down or find out or, or remember. And so just uh, at the end of the night or the morning of or the day before, if you send a text and say, I got it, I'll be there. Thanks for your help. Yeah. Just communicating that you've read the details, you know what needs to happen. That puts me at ease. Now I can go concentrate on why the merch is you know not here on time or whatever it might be. And so just helping me do my job, I think is is really important. A simple thing I've always done that this is just it's simple. It sounds so silly, but I, I've heard from event planners that they love it. Is whenever I land, if I'm flying there and I land and I'm on site, basically, I'll text them just, "Hey, I landed. I'm here. I'm headed to. I'm or I'm in the car and I'm headed to the hotel or whatever." Just so like it may have been like a couple of weeks or a couple of months since the last time you spoke about it, and from an event planner standpoint, they got to feel like. We've talked about it. I hope they got the date right and the time right. And I hope that they're going to magically show up when I need them here. But just letting them know like, hey, just a heads up, I'm here and I'll see you tomorrow or I'll see you in a couple hours. Like that just, again, like you just said, that removes one more thing from your mind that you're trying to juggle and and think about and makes it easier for you to focus on other fires that you may be having to put out at the time. Oh yeah, certainly. It was just love and appreciate that. I would also say probably number two is practice. I think a lot of your listeners probably would be blown away by the level of speaker that we worked with who practiced, you know, the highest of high, you know, best-selling books, best-selling authors, best, best speaking speakers. I don't know how you say that probably spoken (laughs) thousands of times all over the world in some cases. And they practiced like they would show up and they would practice. And in some cases they say, Hey, if I come in to your offices, like in the next month or two, they live someplace else. Will your team help me work on my talk? And so it all surprised me that these speakers who you felt were like at the top of their game were always willing to practice, always willing to learn, always willing to be teachable. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes people are like, I got it. We're good. I'm talking. And so um, I don't want you to, your listeners to go like be stressed about it. How can I improve? What can I do? But it was always interesting to know that they were always open to practice. Yeah. And I think that probably contributed to their success more than just about anything that they did. So whenever they would, they would be practicing, like what would that look like? Because oftentimes if someone, especially when it comes to speaking, if you're practicing, it's going to be happening behind the scenes. It's going to happen at their home, at their office, in the hotel room, their 
pacing back and forth or backstage or something. What would you see from like a practice standpoint that, man, I noticed when speakers would do these things on like from a practicing standpoint, like it really made a difference. What did that look like for you? It, it could be a variety of ways that we would do it. We might do a walkthrough at the venue. Hey, let's walk through your slides. Let's walk through your notes. Let's walk through everything. Let's talk to. And the guys that would just kind of blow through things and their clicker just kind of click in to get through said, oh, let's go. This good. This good. Yeah. They were never as good as the guys that like patiently said, okay, this is right. This is right. Like they were so had sort of handed their stuff to us. We had put it in and now they were checking to make sure that we had it right. And then they were going to make sure that they had that it wasn't just like, okay, my stuff's good. Then they would ask questions like, am I entering over here? Am I going over there? Where should I be looking? Will I be using a lav mic? Will there be mics on the stage? Is there a monitor? Like they were really about that. I don't want to say details, but they're really conscientious to make sure that they understood what was happening. Yeah. That was first. Second, they would practice. So they, we would say to someone, hey, if you want to walk through your whole talk, we'll do it with you. And so they might practice there. Or sometimes we just might get a stage. We might go to a church or we might get a conference room. We might clear it out. Three or four of us sit in the back in chairs. We'd have somebody stand at the front and they would just practice. Or I, you know, I've got people that I was in hotel rooms with and we just went in there and they stood on one side of the bed and a few of us sat on the other and they practiced. Yeah. And we gave feedback and it was interesting. Find someone who might listen to your talk, might work with you. And see if they understand it. Is your cadence right? Does this make sense? Do you think this is funny? Should we take this in? Should we leave this out? And we came up with a lot of our best stuff just listening to people talk. Like we'd say, hey, you know what you should do? You should drop the chains here instead of there, yeah. you know, in this talk. Or you know what you should do? You should end with this. This is so powerful. Let's move that around because that's your that's your gold end on that. Yeah. And um, just getting that level of feedback, I think, from others who also are sort of speakers or are people that do this kind of thing, I think is really invaluable. That makes sense. I want to go back to something you were talking about earlier. So whenever you are, are at the early stages, of before you've hired a speaker, you're looking at some speakers. We talked about the ease of, of just working with them and what that can actually look like. Uh, the other thing that you said was the importance of them bringing a specific topic that they could talk about or a specific problem that they could solve for the audience. So it's not them coming to you saying, all right, Chris, I want to be a speaker and I want to speak at your event. So what do you, what do you want me to talk about? Whatever you need me to do, I can do, which in reality, like, no, you can't. So like, what would that need to look like for a speaker to come to you and say, you know, I've done the research, I've done the homework. I know what your audience needs and based on, you know, my homework and just on talking with you, here's what I feel like would be a good fit. How would that look best for you for them to present a topic idea? Well, first, let me say, I was doing some consulting with the speaker and he went in to help him construct a talk. And I said, what's your talk on? He said, well, it can be on anything. And I remember thinking the same thing going, <laughs> that's so ridiculous. No one's going to hire you because <laughs> right. it just feels like you're desperate. That's yeah. what it feels like to me. You're desperate. Just hire me, do anything. I'll do whatever you need. Yeah. But if you came to me and said, hey, again, I'm familiar with what you do. I've seen some of the stuff you do, or I've read some of the stuff you do, or I appreciate some of the work you've done. I've heard from others about that. One is sort of identify with me. Like, how can we connect? Do you even know what we do or how we do it? Or are you just trying to get a gig? Yeah. Um, first off, so that would bring interest to me too. How can you help me succeed in what I'm doing? Which meaning that I have a goal, like I'm putting this event on not because it's a mandatory part of the job description. It's we're doing it to help other people or we're doing it to help grow businesses or we're doing it to impact the community in one way or the other. So how are you going to plug yourself into that and help me do that? And then third, what is the topic that you want to speak on that will help me achieve those goals? And then finally, why 
do you think that that will be impactful or useful for me? And why should I talk to you? I like one of the things that you said there is the difference between like if someone reaches out to you that you can kind of sniff out the difference between someone that wants to help and serve and contribute to the event versus someone that's just looking to get a gig. Is that something that you you feel like based on any initial interaction with the person that you can tell? Like, does that seem pretty clear whether they're like they're really interested versus like this is just a gig to them? Yeah, I mean, Grant, I'll tell you, it's almost 100% of the time they'll start off with, you guys really need me or you guys should have me. I'm perfect for you. And so it's this, it's almost, it's a naive arrogance, I'll call it, because I don't think they're aware. I think they're super excited. They see what we do. They want to be a part of it. And they think that they've got something that can contribute. Yeah. But they just go about it in a very naive way. I'm perfect for you. You should hire me. I, I want to work. I want to be a speaker. I want to do this. I've done this over other places. And so I think it's almost, almost exclusively just this, you can sense off it's more about them and, and their excitement level versus how they can help me and contribute to what we're trying to do as an organization or an event company. When someone was reaching out to you and some of that initial, when they were making that initial impression with you, what is the best form to reach out? Meaning that is that, would people send an email to you or would people make an introduction through a referral or a friend or like what's the best way to get on an event planner's radar? Because again, you, you're probably, you were bombarded with speakers. You had a lot of speakers that were coming to you. You have a lot of great options that you could choose from. So what's the best way to get in front of a, an event planner when there's not already an existing relationship there? I would definitely say first, uh, what you said is if you know someone and you trust them. Mm-hmm. So if there are people on my team that came to me and said, Hey, I got a good speaker. I'd be like, eh, where did you hear him? What'd you hear? You've got some people like that. And, or if you had some people on your team that you love that you really trusted and they said, I've got someone we should talk to, or we should listen to. I'd be like, well, let's pull up something. What do you got? Let's, let's go to their website. Let's check them out. And um, so that would be first, probably the top of the list. Second would be through an email. Introduce yourself to me. Tell me that you like what I do and, and not me personally, but what the company does. Sure. Tell me that you're interested in helping us achieve whatever goals that we have and that you think you could be useful in this way and that you would love to talk yeah. and keep it simple like that. You know, I think some people are intimidated, Grant, by asking people proactively. Two things to that. One is, and my job, I'm always looking for somebody that's going to help advance what we're trying to do. Like, why yeah. would I shut out an opportunity that came in? You know, sure, there are some days that stuff comes in, it goes out, you know, I blow it off and I probably missed an opportunity. But the reality is most of the time I'm looking for opportunities to succeed and someone to help me do that. Yeah. There's a website out there or a blog or a a TED talk about someone who was going to do, ask, he wrote out like a hundred crazy things that he was going to ask people to do. Like Mm -hmm. he's going to ask a cop to drive the car. He's going to ask a professor to teach the class. And he said he was blown away because he started to realize that a lot of times people would say yes, or, or they would say, that's weird. Why do you want to do that? And he could get in and figure out what they're, they didn't just say no. And I, I watched that TED talk and I was like, this is amazing. Like most people just always assume the answer is no. Yeah. And it's shocking. So. Right. So it sounds like they can ask, but a big part of asking is the way that they go about it. So, because again, you, I assume like you, like most people, you got a very full inbox. You have plenty of people that are hitting you up, wanting something from you, but it sounds like so much of it comes down to how they're approaching it and coming at it, almost the spirit behind the email. My guess is you could also sniff out when this is an email being sent 
personally directly to Chris versus this was copy and pasted and sent to a hundred other event planners as well. And they're just, again, they're, they're looking for a gig. I'm sure it's easy to kind of narrow those down as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. And you know, Grant, I was watching one of the videos you had on your speakerslab.com and you're welcome for the plug. By the way. <laughs> Appreciate but it, it really stood out to me. He said, you know, keep those emails to 125 words, force yourself to keep it at 125 words ish. Yeah will go. Yeah. And I think that's probably true. If I saw a long email come in, uh, that was, that's the death of right. me. Nope. Pass. Right. Right. <laughs> so I think 125 words to try and accomplish what you want to do is, is probably doable. Yeah. So it seems like, I don't know, you, you correct me if I'm wrong. It's not overly difficult to stand out from the crowd when it comes to speakers in terms of just reaching out to potential event planners and connecting with them. It just requires work and it requires effort. And so being genuine, being authentic, being there to serve, actually caring about the event planner and the audience and the event and not just wanting a gig or not just wanting to advance your agenda or to do something for your sake. Like it seems like those things are not overly difficult, but just most people aren't willing to do them. That's exactly right. You know, it's interesting that you say it like that because it seems like common sense. Like sure. there isn't anything that you just said there that doesn't seem like common sense. But I feel like a lot of times common sense is oftentimes the hardest thing that we have to do. Yeah. Because it, common sense often, it's a deeper emotional thing that you have to connect with. So right. for instance, at Dave Ramsey, we got people out of debt. We lived on one simple concept, live on less than you make. Like how much easier, how much more common sense it got to be. Jenny Craig, Eat less than the calories you consume or, or however you say that. Right, uh, right. Those are common sense things. Why are they so hard then? And I think it's because it's, it's deep emotional capital. It's the actual physical work capital that you have to expend. Thinking about it or wanting to do it doesn't really make me have to do much. And so when you say something like, hey, anybody can be a speaker, anybody can be successful. You just have to put the work in. You have to email. You have to be committed to it. I think that's when it becomes really, really hard work. And so to say, all you have to do is be kind, be courteous, be proactive, manage the details, seems like common sense, but then why in the world is it so difficult for so many speakers to accomplish? Right, right. It's not rocket science, but it's a matter of just actually executing on it. So to wrap up here, for people that are, are going, okay, I'm intrigued. I, I know that I want to, I know there's little things I can do to better interact with clients and event planners. Can you give us one more just final words of wisdom on just making sure that we are as speakers that we are serving the client both before, during, and after the event? Yeah, like I said, communication first and foremost. Uh, you know, I maybe have said that word too much in here. I don't think it's even possible to say it too much. Communicate, communicate, communicate. Be clear in your communication. Do you understand what I'm saying? Maybe email me back so we know that we're on the same page when it comes to that. You know, there's a book out there by Frank Let's Call. It's not what you hear. It's not what you say. It's what people hear. Yeah. And so you have to be clear. Just because you said it doesn't necessarily mean that I understand it. Number two is I would say for sure, be consistent. If you email me or you want to talk to me and I need to get back to you, hit me again. I'm not probably 99% of the time being rude and ignoring you. I'm just busy and I got on to other things. Yeah, yeah. But if you want me to talk to you, be consistent with me. I love those people. The ones that never gave up on me, the ones that never gave up on what they were trying to do, they're the ones that will eventually get in the door. I promise you. That's exactly how it works with us. Beautiful. Well said, man. I like that. All right, Chris, if people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, you got a, a sexy website as well. Where can we go? You can go to chrismefford.com. That's uh, two F's, M-E-F-F. 
as in Frank, ORD.com. And uh, I love working with speakers and helping them uh, figure out what they need to say and how to say it. I'll tell you, I'll give you your listeners a recommendation. For every speaker that goes on a stage, they really need to get the book, Speak Like Churchill, Stand Like Lincoln. Uh, if you've ever heard it, but it is a fantastic book. And everybody from the President of the United States to the keynote speaker at your high school graduation, whoever it might be, should read that book because it will really change a lot of how they communicate their message. Interesting. I'd never even heard of that. Who's it by? Well, it's not by Abraham Lincoln and it's not by Winston Churchill. <laughs> I, I forget who it's by, but if you Google speak like Lincoln or speak like Churchill, stand like Lincoln, uh, it'll pop up just about everywhere. Okay, cool, man. All right, brother. Appreciate you sharing your time with us. Happy to help. Thanks, Grant. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Chris Mefford. Uh, just some great insights and uh, practical stuff that he has learned in terms of of, uh, of working with a lot of different speakers, of hiring a lot of different speakers, some that uh, have been very successful as speakers and some that not so much. And so he gives, uh, gave some great insights there. So thanks, Chris, for sharing that with us. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode, episode 151. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome. Awesome.